Hi. I found a post that feels like another version of the one that I just spoke about in a recent episode. And so I thought I'd share it with you. I have been digging through a lot of my writing, an an extra lot of my writing these days, because a very special person, Betsy Fassbender, has come into my life. She is an author and a writing coach, and we have forged this brand new, incredibly symbiotic relationship around watercolor painting and writing. And I, do I want to say this? (sighs) She's going to help me write my book. (laughs) And for this effort, I have been reading and reading and reading lots and lots of my writings. So this one I called, Why Do We Paint? And I explored the idea of getting personal with our art. And this feels like an adjunct, like it's connected. There's a Venn diagram overlap, but it's not entirely the same idea. I had written this one in 2017, and it was just after I had been on the jury for the Sausalito Art Festival. For those of you who don't know, the Sausalito Art Festival was until 2019. It has not happened since then because of the pandemic, but it was one of the best, most prestigious art festivals on the West Coast. And I was very fortunate to be able to do it for, I think it was 12 years, something like that. Anyway, I was on the jury and it was my second time on the jury. My first time had been, I think maybe two or three years after I first had been accepted to be an artist in the festival. And I was feeling very insecure about the, like, what do I know? How do I know how to jury art? But there's a process that we go through to evaluate the applications and it turns out that with a certain, I don't know, level of discernment, that it's pretty easy to identify the art and the artists whose work is the kind that the festival shows. The process involves clicking through four examples of the applicant's work plus one of their booth setup and reading a brief statement they wrote. And I can't explain exactly how this happens, but an impression of them arises readily. It's amazing how much is conveyed about an artist by just five images and a few words. So there were some, I remember, whose work didn't quite seem to have gelled, not quite yet, looking as if the different pieces of art could have been made possibly by different people. And then there are those who have landed on a subject, dancers, books, donuts, that has become their thing, causing their art to lean a little towards shtick, at least for me. When there's something consistent about the work though, the method, the perspective, the color palette, the kinds of subjects or the abstract patterns that they use, along with something ineffable, however hard it is to articulate it, a kind of light shines through. I discovered that it's not that difficult to see the sweet spot between undeveloped and overpolished, and between scattershot and repetitive. At the end of the day, I wrote that I was left wondering about these artists, what their stories are, why they do what they do, and what keeps them making art. Why is a very potent question, one that's important to consider and endeavor to answer for anything we undertake, really. 
I think it gets at that desire. It certainly gets at motivation. And sometimes we're unsure of it or maybe not even conscious of it. So answering this is really, is really powerful. Some of them, it looked like the clearest answer to their why that came to me was to make money. And this is a legitimate reason. Artists need to make a living. And it was a very expensive festival to participate in. But unless to make money is accompanied by otherwise, it can lead the artists to make product, as in something to sell, rather than creating to express our soul. I watch make money at play in me as well. It reigns in my impulse to play and experiment very much. Making and selling art has become what I do, and people have come to expect a certain kind of art from me. Yet I feel a strong desire to keep evolving as an artist. It's a tricky balance, and it's one that I haven't completely sorted my way through. But my real whys are much bigger. First of all, I make art because I'm alive, because there are paintings in me, and because I receive messages from things around me telling me to paint them. I make art to uphold beauty, life, and light in the world. I also make art because I'm a teacher and I cannot be in solidarity with those I accompany on their painting journeys unless I'm also experiencing the often noisy inner process of art making alongside them. There is an I must make art force in me that is energized by all of this. Sometime before I wrote this post in 2017, my friend Sue Rink sent me a post by Maria Popova about Henry Miller's book, To Paint is to Love Again. Just right off the bat, he's preaching to the choir in the title of the book. But when I finally got around to reading her article, just before I wrote this, I found it full of affirming snippets from this book of his. I appreciate his connecting painting with loving, with seeing, and how he writes of being in relationship with our art which I've also talked about in one of these episodes. Here's one of the things he said, and this is very Henry Miller. (laughs) To paint is to love again, live again, see again. To get up at the crack of dawn in order to take a peek at the watercolors one did the day before or even a few hours before is like stealing a look at the beloved while she sleeps. The thrill is even greater if one has to first draw back the curtains, how they glow in the cold light of early dawn. I paint a lot in the evenings after dinner. I stop when my body starts to wind down. I get chilly and I lose my ability to focus. Time to climb in bed. In the morning, when I look at what I did the night before with fresh eyes, it's almost always a delight. It's quite amazing how the noisiness in my head about how silly or funny or dorky what I was painting looked has just dissolved, and it just now becomes interesting shapes. My labors transform overnight on a regular basis. Henry Miller further speaks to our relationship to what we are painting, our subjects. The practice of any art demands more than mere savoir-faire. One must not only be in love with what one does, one must also know how to make love. In love, self is obliterated. Only the beloved counts. Whether the beloved be a bowl of fruit, 
a pastoral scene, or the interior of a body house makes no difference. One must be in it and of it, holy. That's W-H-O-L-L-Y. Before a subject can be transmuted aesthetically, it must be devoured and absorbed. If it is a painting, it must perspire with ecstasy. I contend that art reflects the consciousness of its maker. I got this idea from Ian McGilchrist, and he says that it's not only a reflection of our consciousness, but it, that it is our consciousness in another state. Our art is the physical state of our consciousness. Everything that has ever been started as an idea. So with love in the room, when we are making love with our materials, with our subjects, in response to the privilege of being able to make art, the resulting paintings shine with love's light. They perspire with ecstasy, in Henry Miller's words. Yes, painting is challenging, but love and challenge often, maybe always, go hand in hand. The thing is, if we are phoning it in, it shows in our art. There are a few paintings I've done over the years for less than in love with reasons, and it is no wonder why they're still here, unclaimed. It's such a mystery where our impulses to create come from. What impels us to do anything? Why do we fall in love with a person? Why do we desire to do, to make, to have anything? But I also think it's something to pay attention to. Our whys live somewhere in there. This applies not just to making art or even just to creating, but to all the ways we are compelled in life. I know for me, first becoming aware and then getting very clear about why I do what I do has changed how I experience myself. It encourages me, that is, it puts courage in me to progressively allow more and more of my soul into my artwork and into my writing and into recording these episodes of this podcast. I offer a workshop on color that I named Get Intimate with Color. And there's always been a part of me that thinks it's kind of a silly name for an art class. But when I reflect on what had me come up with that name, I realized that I meant it literally. I believe in being intimate with our materials and subjects. Intimate's Latin root means inmost. It requires the inmost parts of us and of what we're working with. You can't be intimate with a tube of paint unless you've really paid attention to how it paints out. Otherwise, it's just a thing that you can hold in your hand but you have an intimate experience with it when you put it out on your palette and you mix it with water and you put it onto paper and you see what it does and you see what color it is and then you know it. Then you have a relationship with it. Our soul then is reflected in what we create when it emanates from this place, when we have this level of relationship with what we're doing. To me, this is just the whole enchilada. Intimacy is relationship Relationship is connection. Connection is the sacred made manifest. It's the God in me seeing the God in you and vice versa. When we make art, we connect. We become intimate with those who see it. For me, there's just no better why. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being with me here today. 
And thank you for creating all the things that you do because you are the only one who can do what you do as you do it. Okay, till next time. Bye-bye.